helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Hillary Clinton famously said, it takes a village to raise a child. But is that true? The studies of the outcomes of children in various family situations seem to show that it's parents, preferably married and living together, that is the best place to raise a child. So does it take a village to raise a child? I'm with Thomas Sowell on this one. When Hillary Clinton said, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, uh, and someone said it takes a village idiot to believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that neighbors and family don't play a role in raising the child, but it's not the village that raises the child. It's the village that supports the parents as the parents raise the child. That distinction is important. See, ultimately, it's the parents that decide how a child is raised. People like us, our neighbors, our friends, our families, they can help the parents do so. Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, teach the rising generation to be free. And I'm so glad you could join me today. You know, this all got started with a, a, an article I wrote um, a couple weeks ago called Placing Politics Above Children. You can find it on the website, constitutionstudy.com. And I review a case called Burke v. Walsh, where a, a couple, the Burks, uh, they wanted to become foster parents in, in Massachusetts. But the, the Department of Children and Families, well, they refused to license them. And it appears to, to be based on their religion and, and the belief that uh, they would not affirm uh, an LGBTQ child. Now, it was an interesting article, and, and it, it really it invoked a lot of emotion for me in, 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 you know, for a couple of reasons. As I tell in the, in the article, when I was about 11 years old, my family moved from New York City to my grandparents' farm up in upstate New York. And my, that September, you know, I head off to school, brand new school. Very first friend was a, a boy my age who was in a foster family. He was in foster care. And I, I got to see a little bit, just a fraction of what that was like. And I watched as, you know, one foster family just, they weren't a very good fit. They were a lovely family. They were a fine family. There was nothing that I saw that was wrong with that family, but they didn't click. And then my friend went somewhere else and he went to another foster family and that foster family clicked. He became part of their family just as if they were, he was their own child. And I have some wonderful memories of that time in my life, of my friend and, you know, visiting his, his, going to his place and him coming to my place. And it was just, it was family and it was, it was wonderful. See, he was in a situation as a minor where he needed help. He needed a family to care for him. And I thank God that he found one, one that, that cared, one that, um, raised him as their own. Because I know there are thousands, if not more, of young children in situations they don't have a family. They can't find 
a foster home. Or if they do, well, the foster home just isn't a good place. I'm not trying to paint with too broad a brush, but it makes me wonder. Are you telling me in, in Massachusetts, I believe they're in the Boston area, in that area, are you telling me that they couldn't find a child that was born Roman Catholic, raised Roman Catholic, would appreciate being not only allowed but encouraged to participate in the Roman Catholic They couldn't find one in the state of Massachusetts? Or that it was more important to them that they promote a sexualized political agenda than the care of the child? Now here I am. I'm a, I'm a father. And you know what? Sure, my wife and I raised my daughter, but I we got help. We got help from a lot of people. We got help from family members, obviously. We got help from friends and, and from members of our church family and, and a lot of people that participated. We had a friend. It was funny. Um, her and her husband had three boys. And <laughs> the mother used to love taking care of our daughter because it was like having a daughter. She was, it was a girl she could communicate with. I remember uh, uh, getting advice. I remember when my, when my wife was still expecting. I remember one of my coworkers. Um, actually, no, sorry. It was after she was like, my, wife, my daughter was young. I forget. There was an event going on. I forget what it was. My daughter was young, and I was with a coworker, and there was like some big important meeting we were supposed to be at. And I was trying to decide, do I go to the meeting or do I go and, and be there for my daughter? And he said, you know what, Paul? In 20 years, no one will remember whether or not you went to that meeting. But your daughter will remember that you went to that event. See, he was supporting me as a father. The same way our friends supported, um, supported us as parents. When my wife was in a in, in, in a wheelchair, she had MS, she was in a wheelchair, she couldn't travel well. We had friends that uh, um, would take my daughter. See, there are certain things that fathers and daughters just, they're not going to click on in most cases. When my daughter was graduating, um, she, we, yes, she was homeschooled. We had a graduation ceremony for her and her friend, and she wanted to get a new dress. And it was our friends, the mother of the, the, the girl that she was going to graduate with, who took my daughter to help find a dress. They supported us. But I also understand that not everybody is going to be raised in that family. I've seen it in my own life. What can we do? And how much can we do? I wonder sometimes, do we, do we look at the perfect and make it the enemy Oh, the good enough. I don't mean good enough as in, you know, that's good enough for government work. I mean, this is as much as we can do. We have a number of single-parent households. Most of them, by the way, headed by mothers. What can we do, especially as men, to help that mother raise their son? What can we do? You know, again, my friend, my my friend had a boy, um, who he was at that 
just at an age. And he was in my Sunday school class. And I got him interested. We, I used to run the soundboard at the church, and I got him interested in it. And in doing that, I, I kind of became a bit of a mentor for him. I still remember the night he, he called to see if I was home so he could stop by. He was going to prom, and he wanted to show off his tux and the girls he was going to. He actually, there were twin girls he was going with. He wanted to show off to me. I didn't try to replace his father, but I helped. There's a, a, a younger man today, I know, lives just up the street from you, friends of mine. He, due to circumstances beyond his control, is right now a single father. And that's a lot of work. That's a lot of stress. I made a point of saying, hey, he, he wasn't even sure he wanted to come to church because he was afraid his daughter would be disruptive. I said, don't worry about it. If she's disruptive, I'll help take care of it. You need a, a a a break. You just need to walk away from something. You need to so you need to go do something. You need someone. Give me a call. I work from home. Most days I'm home, and thank God my schedule is flexible enough. I can more often than not drop what I'm doing to help. Another friend of ours, young couple, we met probably the first friends we made when we moved to Tennessee. They just had their first child. I made we made the same deal to them, especially the mom. I said, hey, something comes up, feel free to give us a call. You just need to talk to an adult for a while. Come on over. We'll make coffee, we'll do whatever. It's supporting the parents as they go through with experience or sometimes just perspective. When does we as a society start placing politics? above our children. We talk about an education, how the public education system has turned into this morass of, of, of political indoctrination. Now we're talking about the foster care system. And in some states, it has become a morass of politics superseding what's best for the child. You know, looking back, I remember when Hillary Clinton, she published a book, and this is all the talk. It takes a village. If you're collectivist, I suppose that makes sense. If you believe that the collective, like a Borg, is more important than anything else, that the collective has knowledge, that the collective is the ultimate decider, then yeah, having a collective raise your child for you Maybe that's not a half-bad idea. Especially, by the way, if you're a feminist collectivist, because now not only do you have the, the collectivist defining the parameters, but you can use that as an excuse to walk away from the responsibility of motherhood. Put your child in daycare. Let the collective take care of them. You go off and, and resume your career. Let's make sure we have enough child care. Let's make sure we have public schools so that the women can be in the workforce. When did we stop valuing mothers? We still have Mother's Day. Guaranteed, each and every one of us had a mother. But it seems like we devalued motherhood. 
Women are told that they need a career in order to fulfill their lives. How about rising, raising the next generation? You know, I keep looking at these and seeing these situations where we've placed a political agenda above the rising generation. From latchkey kids through to politicized foster care and now even politicized uh, uh, oversight of parents. How long before uh, Department of Family Services comes in and takes the child away because somebody at school is convinced they're transgender and the parents don't agree? How long? If we let our village raise our children, if we let someone else raise our children, then, well, then what values get passed on to the next generation? I understand there are situations where the state needs to step in to say, for the safety of the, and health of the child. That should be the exception, not the rule, and I believe it should be the extreme exception. But for the rest of us, have we thought about that, that support of the parents as they're raising children? I remember John Jay saying that every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the Constitution of his country and teach the rising generation to be free. It's the rising generation that, that, that is our future. And what are we teaching the rising generation? We're teaching them to be good little, little collectivists? Are we teaching them to love life and liberty and opportunity? Are we teaching them to be generous with their time and how they can help? And not necessarily just, just their, their families. How can you help others in the community? I don't think it takes a village to raise a child. I do think a village can help. But I think if they're bypassing the parents, they're more likely to do more damage than good. Now, I hope you'll stick around. I got a break coming up. I have a guest, Kalista Barberi. Uh, she is a foster care trainer and recruiter in the South Central Tennessee region. Uh, I, I bumped into her. We we both go to we frequently both go to a, a networking event that's uh, in the neighboring town. And uh, shortly after I wrote the article, I bumped into her and I thought it'd be really great to have her come on and give her point of view from the foster care system, from someone who's working in the system, and uh, someone who again she's going to be focused on Tennessee and. Uh, we do things differently here in Tennessee than in some of the other states. So I thought it'd be an interesting person to bring on and, and get perspective from. Now, if you'd like to read the article I was talking about, you can find it on the website, constitutionstudy.com. There, there'll be a link in the, uh, in the webpage, the, the show page, when it hits the website. So you can check it out there. You can just search for it on the website, constitutionstudy.com. While you're there, please sign up for a mailing list. Uh, you can be notified when I, whenever I send out uh, published articles and, and other content. Um, you can be on the Insider. You can get my monthly newsletter. It's all free, available there. You can also uh, maybe check out the shop, maybe pick up a book. All my books are on sale through New Year's Eve. So 
20% off on all my books, no codes, no coupons, just 20% off. I've also got some, some shirts I've put on clearance. They're 50% off while supplies last. You can find that all at the website, constitutionstudy.com. Now, I hope also you do me a favor, check out the Wellness Company. They have a very interesting program where you can get not only products, but medical advice. Now, one of the products they use, which I've, I'm, I'm trying now, it's called Restful Sleep. See, sleep is critical if you want to be healthy. You, you don't get enough sleep. Not only does your mind not work as well as it could, but your body is, is more susceptible to getting sick. Now, what I didn't realize until I started talking to the wellness company is supplements like melatonin and other hormone-based supplements, they can actually disrupt other hormones in your system, and they can skew your, your sleep-wake cycle. In fact, they can even make you dependent on those hormones just to get to sleep. So they've developed a product called Restful Sleep. It's designed with natural ingredients to calm your mind, to reduce stress so you can get a better night's sleep, more rest. You can The, the stuff is, is made right here in the USA. It's based on documented research vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company. And as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off all their products plus 25% off your first month of membership. Use the code out loud. You can find out more details at americaoutloud.shop. But please check out the wellness company. Look at all their products. Make sure you use that code out loud at checkout. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, you'll get 25% off products and 25% off your first month of membership. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. The pandemic may be over for some. But millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. 
Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. If you join the Constitution study today, we're asking, does it take a village? I mentioned that uh, a few weeks ago, I wrote an article uh, talking about a Massachusetts case involving a family, uh, a couple that wants to be foster parents, but they're not allowed to be foster parents, and they're claiming it's because well, they're Roman Catholic. Well, not surprisingly, not that long thereafter, I ran into this lovely lady, Kalista. She is she works in the foster care industry. She is a foster care trainer and recruiter in the South Central Tennessee region, which is my area. And I thought, who better to come and, and help us kind of tease out what was what the issues in this situation? So, Kalisa, thank you for joining us here today. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Um, do you have a couple of things you'd like to tell our audience a little bit about you so they have an idea of where uh, where you're coming from in this discussion? Sure. I uh, am a foster parent trainer and recruiter with a nonprofit that partners with the state of Tennessee. And my background is actually working with kids who are aging out of the system. So I was kind of a life coach for them before I started finding the foster parents. Um, so that's a little bit about me and how I got to where I am right now. So you work again. I've I've met Kalista before. We're part of a networking group down here. So you work with families that want to become foster parents. You help train them and prepare them, and 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 work with them. So, did you read the article I sent you about the case in Massachusetts? Yes, briefly I looked over it. Um, it's interesting because I, in in my background working with. Families. I've worked with families who've lived in Tennessee their entire lives, and I've worked with families who used to foster in other states. I have never worked with any who worked in Massachusetts specifically, but I've had several that used to foster um, either in some of the states surrounding us or even some that have moved over from California and then they wanted to foster in Tennessee. And it is drastically different on a state to state basis. And that was one of the things that I just took away from it is how different it is um, than it is, at least for us in Tennessee. And we follow the same standards that um, the State Department follows. Yeah, it is different states being a, I mean, I was born and raised in the empire in the state of New York. And, you know, mm -hmm. things are different. And, and that's, it makes sense as different states have different backgrounds and standards. But here we have um, a couple um, that, again, by all accounts, are the perfect couple. Even the, the author of the licensed study said they were lovely people. Their issue, the, the, the issue of the author appears to be solely with their faith. Now, when you're working with parents, um, one, does faith enter the, 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 the discussion or consideration? And then maybe follow up with, so what if you have a situation where the faith of the foster parents and the beliefs and faith of the child or children just are incompatible? What, what, do you, what would happen here in Tennessee? Here in Tennessee, that's an excellent question because it does come up with, I think, every single family that I have ever certified. We, it is not, it doesn't ever determine 
whether a family gets certified or not. Their beliefs are not based on that, but it is incredibly relevant to their certification and the placement of the child in their home. So for instance, I have a family who comes to me and they're just starting the certification process and they say, hey, I, I, wanna, I want to become a foster parent. I have a, a heart for our kids who don't necessarily uh, have the love that they need to have in their home or the support or whatever reason they came into state custody. They, um, they really have a heart for kids. They have a stable home. They have room in their home for our kids. But they come to me and they say, we, we actually ask them, they say, what, what kinds of things are you comfortable with? And religion is one of the things that we talk about. We have probably a six-page assessment where we ask our families, um, is it important for you to have a child in the home that has the same beliefs as you? What kinds of things are you comfortable with? What kinds of behaviors? Um, if they were, you know, identified on the uh, LGBTQ uh, community, would that be something that's uncomfortable for you? It is very in-depth when we go through this process because we don't want to traumatize our families and we don't want to traumatize our kids one way or the other. So if they say we want to, you know, we want to provide a safe and loving environment and our, but we're not really comfortable with a child because of our personal beliefs, whether that's religion or whatever their lifestyle is, if they tell us that they're not comfortable, we're going to do everything in our power to still certify the family because we have kids who love church and who want to go to church every Sunday and Wednesday and every time the doors are open. And we have kids who would not be comfortable in that environment. We need all kinds of foster families to provide those homes for our kids who need it. Recognizing that we're not monolithic. We're not all the same, and and different people right. are going to have different needs. And you know, interesting. I know we've discussed this, but my my audience wasn't there. Um, right now, what would you say is the biggest obstacle, <clears throat> the, the biggest issue that uh, the foster care system here in Tennessee is dealing with? I think the hardest thing is finding families who are willing to take honestly to willing to take teenagers is our biggest barrier right now because there's such a fear of um what of teenagers in the system um having worked with them they're not that scary but um every single child who comes into state custody has experienced some kind of trauma and sometimes that's the most difficult thing to deal with is that trauma behaviors can show up as defiance or being uncooperative. And so in our training programs, we really talk about trauma-informed care and how to parent a child. And that's applicable no matter what your religious background is. A child who um, comes into custody needs a family to have a lot of patience and empathy and understanding that a child who has gone through trauma is going to test those boundaries. And so a lot of it is parents just, our foster parents really need to know that they have patience and that being scared of having a child that isn't their biological child in their home, um, it's okay to be scared. I have families call me all the time and say, I don't know how I'm gonna handle this. And I say, that's okay because we're gonna train you. And we have foster care counselors in your home once a week to help you through this process, whether they, and to your, to your point about the belief system, that's why we have counselors in the home. If they come up with a struggle or a conflict, even if it's a conflict of interest, we have our counselors there for them to call and say, hey, here's a situation that I don't know how to handle. And this may have a conflict of my beliefs. And I really don't know even if this kid can stay in my home anymore. Can you help me handle it? And that's why we're there to help them. You know, I love that. It, it, it kind of comes back to my original premise. 
is when, when we talk about does it take a village, it's not the idea that the village raises the child, but the that we support the parents, biological or foster parents or adoptive parents, so that they can provide the environment that's needed. And mm-hmm. I, I think we've become, as a society, so hyper-focused on children and turning them into autonomous beings we forget they don't have the they don't have the the knowledge nor the maturity to make a lot of these decisions but you're talking about if you're going to have a foster family they're going to encounter things they're not they're not ready for or they hadn't thought of and you've got people to support them and and to me again while this wasn't one of the reasons that brought me to Tennessee it is one of the things that I love about Tennessee is that you, you know you're looking at it saying how do we help the parents to help the, the foster parents to help the children? Um, and again, it's it's important. I when I was a boy, when we moved from New York City up upstate, my very first friend was a boy in foster care. And you know, I was uh, in eighth grade. We were both in eighth grade at the time, and I watched him with a couple different foster families and and with his his biological mother and I saw I got a very small glimpse of some of the things that 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 are part of that system um we do need more people that are willing to help that are willing to do what they can they don't have to be I guess if, if I were to ask they don't have to be um they don't have to do it all they but can we what can we can we get them to do what they can do because there are so many children that are just looking for a place sometimes they're just looking for a place to sleep that night yes and we have people call that sometimes i we have dcs parents who are dcs workers who will call our foster parents and say look i know you didn't want a teenager but this person doesn't have a place for the night can they just stay with you for the weekend Um, and then the family ends up falling in love with this 15 year old and they end up keeping them either until they're able to go back to their biological parents or sometimes they end up adopting them Um, and also to your point there are lots of ways to support our families you can become a foster parent we absolutely need more foster parents but right now also we have our holiday heroes program which is helping to provide gifts for kids who are in our programs Um, and right now we don't even have enough sponsors to take care of all the kids who are already in our programs so those are there's lots of ways to get involved and to help our foster parents uh, care for the kids yeah i guess you know rather than doing everything you know let's not let the perfect be the the uh the enemy of the better and what can we do exactly to make things better you know and, and every little bit makes a difference for sure yep and again going back to the massachusetts and again being the constitution scholar i first looked at this from a constitutional standpoint but i have to, to admit you know there it brought tears to my eyes to think there are there are young kids in in the boston area that um would be quite helpful they would love to be with a roman catholic family they they would love to be there and they aren't given that chance because of an uh, an agenda that places a a a political movement ahead of the of the welfare of the child at least that's the way it reads to me i understand their desire to say if you've got an lgbt child in foster care we don't want them traumatized i agree but are we willing to traumatize others uh, or or not give others what they could have because of that. I'm I'm glad to see here in Tennessee 
we don't do that. Is, is there something else that you think my audience should know? Now, granted, it's a national audience. We have people in Tennessee. We've got people outside of Tennessee that they should know either about the foster care system as a whole or specifically uh, here in, in Tennessee. I think that it's very easy to look at a system and see the pieces that are broken. And I have heard a lot of people say that as I've talked about the need for foster parents. and. Um, I think I think they're not wrong. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed, but even in a broken system, children deserve to be loved for um, exactly who they are. And so we we need all kinds of foster parents nationwide. Our foster care system needs more loving foster parents. So whether it's a Roman Catholic family or a same sex couple, um, every single child deserves to be loved for whoever they are. So we need all kinds of foster families to, or parents to step up and say, hey, I will accept a child in my home and love them for who they are. Um, and we work really, really hard to place our kids in safe environments. So if they are a strongly religious child, and we have plenty of those, we want to place them with religious families. And we, if we have kids who have come out on the LGBTQ spectrum or who are maybe a different religion, we try to make sure that they are also in that safe environment. So definitely having them at least call and see if there's something that they can do to make a difference, whether it's their state office or a local nonprofit that partners with them. Um, our kids really need more love and support. And there's one thing, what, what the world we now needs now is love, sweet love. Um, and, you know, that, that's one of those things that it's a resource that never exhausts. And, exactly. you know, Kalisa, you know, I'm... I'm glad we met. I'm glad we bumped into each other to to see that there are people that are working, um, that uh, that are they're worried about the kids and, and and how do we take people in those difficult circumstances, the the less than ideal circumstances, and give them the best opportunity that they can. Um, where can people find out if they if someone here hears us and wishes to contact you or one of your uh, uh, co-workers across the state, where's the best place for them to go? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. The best place to find us is to go to our website. Our um, website is just youthvillages.org slash foster care. And um, you can find all about all find out all about our organization and um, how to get involved. And there is an inqu inquiry page on to find out more about becoming a foster parent there. And we have all the information about our information classes there as well. Youth Villages, is that do .org, did you say? Yes, youthvillages.org and foster care is one of the tabs there. Um, and you can sign up for an information class, which is just a two hour class on what it is to be a foster parent in the state of Tennessee. Wonderful, I'll be sure to put a link in the notes when the when it hits the show pay the when the show hits the website um any any last comments before we run out of time in this segment um just thank you for having me on here anything that people can do to make a difference to love on our foster kids and because they've gone through a lot and they really need all of our support uh Kalisa, thank you so much for your time thank you so much for the work that you do uh, again if you're interested you want to learn more you want to take that that introductory class or just Find out more, youthvillages.org slash foster care. And uh, you know, Kalisa, let's hope that uh, more and more kids have a safe and happy home, especially during this holiday season. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, that interview. Uh, I, I certainly did. Uh, Kalista is a wonderful uh, woman. I think she's doing some wonderful work. And uh, if, if you're interested, again, especially if you're in the middle Tennessee area, 
you can find out the links to her uh, program, which is youthvillages.org. Um, just click under foster care from there. You, I will post them on the website, on the show page, on the website when this goes to uh, to podcast in a couple of days. Now, speaking of the website, markoutloud.news, it's a great place to go every day to find out what's going on. Get the latest news and happenings. But just like I do, when I, when I go there every day, I hope you'll do more than just listen. It's one thing to say, listen to what Callista was talking about. It's quite another to actually do something. And you can do your part. You can start by just simply take the stories, find an article, maybe a podcast or a video episode that says something you find important, that says something that really talks to, to you or to some part of your life, and share it. Let other people know about it. Share it with friends, share it with family, share it over the holiday table or over a cup of coffee. Hey, better yet, share it on social media, all the social media platforms you're part of. It doesn't matter how big your audience is. It doesn't matter how far you spread it because it is the act of sharing this information that means you're helping to secure the blessings of liberty. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with oxy powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. I, I, we're talking today, does it take a village? And, and, and I hope you enjoyed the interview in the last segment because now we're turning this up to 11. 
See, the, the case I was talking about before dealt with Massachusetts. It was a Massachusetts decision by DCF that um, Roman Catholic family, a Roman Catholic family was not qualified because they wouldn't affirm uh, a, a, an LGBTQ. They wouldn't affirm a, a transgender um, child. Well, guess what? The bullies in Washington, D.C. are trying to push the same thing. You see, the, the Department of Health and Human Services is trying to make up some new rules. Um, and uh, uh, I really shouldn't be surprised, right? They're, the secretary, the, uh, I'm sorry, the secretary, assistant secretary is uh, the dude. Rachel, he calls himself Rachel Levine. Um, you know, he's confused. Why would you not be surprised? He's promoting a political agenda. But what can be done? Well, the attorney general of the state of Tennessee, another reason why I'm glad I moved here, he says he plans on suing. And in fact, he sent a letter to uh, uh, Kathleen McHugh, the director of policy for the Children's Bureau, uh, Administration on Children, Youth and Families, Administration for Children and Families of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. How's that for a mouthful of a title? In the letter, uh, uh, Mr. Scametti says, the Tennessee joined by 16 co-signing states, welcomes the chance to comment on the Administration for Children and Families, quote HHS, safe and appropriate foster care placement requirements under Title IV-E and IV-B of 88 regulation, yada, yada, federal regulations, right? The placement rule would condition continued federal foster care program funding on states satisfying detailed rules for affirming LGBTQI plus youth in their charge. The placement rule would pair these uh, novel requirements with a new notification regime, as well as expand avenues for legal action against foster providers who deviate from HHS's dictates. Now, uh, Attorney General Scametti um, lists uh, several reasons, three reasons specifically, um, of the problems with this, the legal issues with this. I wanted to go through them um, because they're good, but they could be better. So his first point is that the rule, uh, it, it's a novel mandate. It goes far beyond HHS's statutory authority. He says the relevant provisions of the Adoption Assistance and Child Welfare Act of 1980 require federally funded foster care providers to create, to craft case plans that provide safe and proper care and serve the best interests and special needs of each child for the foster placement uh, is made. Properly read, those long-standing family law terms do not license the placement rules attempt to mandate particular federal concepts of proper foster care for LGBTQI plus youth, let alone support requiring agencies to restructure sex-segregated facilities and programs to instead align around foster child's uh, gender identity. Any interpretive doubt about HHS's authority res um, resolves in the light of the major questions doctrine, as well as federalism and non-delegation principles, which uniformly foreclose the uh, placement rules unprecedented top-down regime. Okay, that's a mouthful. It's a lot of legalese, which is, shouldn't be a, too much of a surprise from Attorney General. Here's what he's saying. The federal law that established uh, it's called the, the Child Welfare Act of 1980, Adoptive Assistance and Child Welfare Act of 1980, um, does not authorize HHS to come up with a special set of rules for uh, placing LGBTQI plus youth. Now, here's problem number one. You see, the, the Child Welfare Act of 1980, CWA, 
talks about provides federally funded foster care providers. There's problem number one. There is nothing, nothing in the Constitution of the United States that authorizes the federal government to oversee, to regulate, fund, or otherwise deal with family life, foster care. So basically the CWA is, is void. Why? Because it's it's an act made contrary to the Constitution of the United States. It violates the Constitution. It is therefore void. Now, HHS may be going beyond its, its congressional mandate today, but Congress went beyond their constitutional mandate back in 1980 when they passed the CWA. In fact, I claim they went beyond their mandate when they created the Department of Health and Human Services because those powers are not delegated to the United States by the Constitution. Therefore, they belong either to the states or to the people. And this usurpation of power has led us to this place. But before we start pointing all the fingers at the federal government, remember, this is funding given to the states. The states have been bribed into complying with federal regulation by this funding. And bribery is punishable both to the person that offers the bribe and the person that accepts the bribe. So what we have here is the attorney general complaining that um, they, they, they took the bribe, but then the, the, federal, the Department of HHS, um, they changed the deal. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Now, the second point that uh, Attorney General Scametti makes claims to find a significant constitutional problem, but not really. It reads, reading the statute to confer the rulemaking authority HHS posits would implicate non-delegation doctrine limits on Congress's ability to outsource lawmaking to the executive branch. Nor does the spending clause allow HHS to tack on additional conditions to federal programs without clear congressional consent. Further, the placement rule's potential for punishing foster care parents for their views on LGBTQI plus issues risks running afoul of core First Amendment protections of freedom of speech and religion. Okay, again, let's cut through the legalese. What he's saying is uh, there's what's called the, the non-delegation doctrine, the, the point that one branch of government, well, first of all, one branch of cannot delegate its authority to another branch of government. All right, so the, the, the doctrine that they call now basically says, well, we're going to limit Congress's ability to outsource lawmaking. The Constitution says you cannot outsource lawmaking. All legislative, all lawmaking power is delegated to the, or is vested in the United States. He points out that, uh, that the spending clause does not allow HHS to simply add on conditions to federal spending without congressional consent. And he points about the, the uh, placement rule um, basically curbing speech. Would, he says, risk running afoul of core First Amendment protections of freedom of speech and religion. Okay, I get right back to the source of the matter. This is an unconstitutional act by an unconstitutional agency. Therefore, the whole thing is void. Again, not my words. Read the uh, uh, Federalist Paper 78. Alexander Hamilton says that, that uh, an un no unconstitutional act can be valid. Um, Pretty simple to me. Or, or what about the, the Supreme Court? I love the way the Supreme Court puts it in Norton v. Shelby County. An unconstitutional act is not a law. It confers no rights. It imposes no duties. It affords no protection. It creates no office. It is in legal contemplation as inoperative as though it had never been passed. 
How about we just say, yeah, you know what, HHS, you don't have the legal authority. CWA was never legally enacted because it violates the Constitution. I'm not surprised. Mr. Scavetti is a lawyer. He's an attorney. He went to law school. I, I doubt he actually studied the language of the Constitution. What he studied was the opinion of judges that we euphemistically call uh, constitutional law. Now, the, the third point and final point he makes is that the placement rule um, violates the Administrative Procedures Act, meaning, if I understand it correctly, um, they didn't follow the right process to implement such a sweeping uh, rule, but they didn't have the legal authority to make the rule in the first place. Now, he closes the letter with, Tennessee and the co-signing states are committed to adopting and enforcing rules to ensure every child in state foster systems receives the most appropriate placement available, no matter their challenges. Experience shows that even in the light of many difficulties involved in providing foster care, local member of each state's foster care ecosystem, not federal officials in Washington, D.C., are best placed to address the complex and ever-changing dynamics among foster providers and the children they serve. The placement rule's far-reaching approach, even if well-intentioned, will perversely diminish the availability of safe placement for all children by driving dedicated foster care parents, or, sorry, providers out of the foster care altogether. It will further divert resources away from protecting foster children from physical abuse and toward enforcing compliance with controversial gender ideology. The APA, or Administrative Procedures Act, and common sense alike should cause HHS to reconsider before adopting uh, requirements that would harm that would harm rather than help states' ability to serve foster children in need. I come back to this: you had no legal authority to do this. Shut up and go home. I'm really kind of tired of states kowtowing to these illegal orders. Now, uh, and again. What are the states going to do? I mean, basically, this is the equivalent of a strongly worded letter. They are urging HHS to uh, change their mind. How about you act like a, like the sovereign state that you are and say no? Now, what's which states? We've got Tennessee. What other states have signed on? Well, the Attorney General of uh, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, South Carolina, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia all signed on to this letter. But again, this is basically, like I said, it's the equivalent of a strongly worded letter. Please change your mind. I actually plan on reaching out to the Attorney General's office because I'd like to speak with them or someone from the office saying, why are you playing patty cake with this when the, if it's blatantly unconstitutional, simply say no. How about we stop accepting foster care money and all the strings that go along with it, just like the state of Tennessee is looking at Department of Education money? How about we stop dealing with foster care money? But, Paul, then they'll have less money. They'll also have less stupid rules and regulations that they have to divert the, that money to go take care of. So as we're looking at this, here, here's what I want you to consider. We have the state of Massachusetts. We have the federal government that seems to be more interested in the perverted transgender agenda than they are in the lives of children as a whole. They would bend over backwards to make sure that a, a child who is confused about their sex may have some issues with that, that they are affirmed in their, in their insanity right? than actually making sure they're put in a place where they're loved. I'm not saying we should you know, take children who think they're, they're transgender or any, any part of the LGBTQ and force them to stay with parents that 
would abuse them, would disagree with them. But if you're turning around and saying, listen, you have to promote this, you're basically saying any child that is not LGBTQI+, they don't get the same protections. They're less likely to get a foster family because you are driving foster care parents out of the foster care system. You are elevating this one group of children above all the others. That, ladies and gentlemen, that is disgusting. It is a perversion. And we shouldn't be surprised when we see a corrupted department of a corrupted government that has violated its oath over and over and over again try to impose this. It's bad enough to see it in Massachusetts, to have Washington, D.C. try to force this on all 50 states. Way too far. See, Massachusetts, as a sovereign state, has the authority to say, this is our priority in the foster care system. The United States, as a creation of the states, with limited and enumerated powers, has no authority to tell Tennessee or any of the other states, this is how you must do foster care. Ladies and gentlemen, if you live in one of those 16 states, and again, I'll put a link to the letter um, in, in the show notes so you can, can look it up, contact your, your attorney general. Ask him why, if this is unconstitutional, why are they planning to abide by it? Because if you look at the Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Clause 2, only laws the United States made pursuant to the Constitution are the supreme law of the land. If, this law, if the law that created HHS, that, create, that the CWA was not made pursuant to the Constitution, it is not the supreme law of the land. It should not be followed, and the states should know better. Sadly, it's up to we, the people, to educate those we hire to represent us because our schools and our colleges, and especially our law schools, they're not doing their job. They're failing in that, and we are suffering. So back to my original question, does it take a village? As I said before, it takes parents to raise a child. It takes a village, it's helpful, I should say, if a village supports the parents. Let me say that again. It takes parents to raise a child. The, it takes the, it's helpful if the village supports the parents rather than trying to bypass the parents. When we look at a system like this, a foster care system, a, a situation where, where children are in one of the worst cases as far as, as, as growing up, sure, abusive families are, are terrible, but you think about it, a child that's been removed from their parents, either because of the actions of the parents or possibly the death uh, uh, or injury of the parents. You have a child in that situation. Shouldn't we as a community do all we can to make sure they are in a, a safe and loving environment, one where they'll be provided for, they'll be protected, they will get assistance for the issues that come along with such a, um, a difficult life situation? Shouldn't we be more worried about that than a political agenda? What does it say about the American people if we're willing to sacrifice some of those vulnerable, vulnerable people in our society to promote an agenda driven by politics and perversion? I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen. I feel a sudden need to thank God that we've been, my wife and I have been here to raise our daughter and that she's turned into such a lovely young lady and a tremendous need to go out and find people 
that need some help. Parents that could use a hand, whether they be foster parents, adoptive parents, or biological parents. I feel a need to go out and help them however we can. Because if we don't, if, if we as a people don't support those who are raising the next generation, not only will we live in the society that following the next generation creates, so will our children and our grandchildren and on and on and on. Now, I hope you'll come back here and join us for the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. Now, if you can't listen, then all the episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. Listen on your favorite podcast app, but do me a favor, subscribe to the show. Leave leave the episodes ratings and reviews. It helps other people find the Constitution Study as well. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. Please share them with friends, share them with family, share them as far and wide as you can. See, by sharing this information, you're helping to share the blessings of liberty.